Hey, Miss Barbara. It's Jess again here um, to give you another bedtime story as I continue reading The Alchemist to you. And if you remember where we left off last time, um, he, the boy had been speaking with the old man, the old man who was a king, and the old man had told him the parable of, um, about the oil, drops of oil in a spoon. And he sends the boy on his way, um, as he goes in search of his personal legend and the old man basically just encourages him um, to not let anything um, distract him from concluding his personal legend. He encourages him to enjoy his travels along the way, admire the beauties of life in the process but not to lose sight of his personal legend. And so that's where we left off. And that's where we'll pick up again right now. At the highest point in Tarifa, there is an old fort built by the Moors. From atop its walls, one can catch a glimpse of Africa. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, sat on the wall of the fort that afternoon and felt the levanter blowing in his face. The sheep fidgeted nearby, uneasy with their new owner and excited by so much change. All they wanted was food and water. Melchizedek watched a small ship that was plowing its way out of the port. He would never again see the boy, just, ha- just as he had never seen Abraham again after having charged him his one-tenth fee. That was his work. The gods should not have desires because they don't have personal legends. But the king of Salem hoped desperately that the boy would be successful. It's too bad that he's quickly going to forget my name, he thought. I should have repeated it for him. Then when he spoke about me, he would say that I am Melchizedek, the king of Salem. He looked to the skies, feeling a bit abashed, and said, I know it's the vanity of vanities, as you said, my lord. But an old king sometimes has to take some pride in himself. How strange Africa is, thought the boy. He was sitting in a bar very much like the other bars he had seen along the narrow streets of Tangier. Some men were smoking from a gigantic pipe that they passed from one to the other. In just a few hours, he had seen men walking hand in hand, women with their faces covered, 
and priests that climbed to the tops of towers enchanted. As everyone about him went to their knees and placed their foreheads on the ground. A practice of infidels, he said to himself. As a child in church, he had always looked at the image of St. Santiago Matamoros on his white horse, his sword unsheathed, and figures such as these kneeling at his feet. The boy felt ill and terribly alone. The infidels had an evil look about them. Besides this, in the rush of his travels, he had forgotten a detail, just one detail, which could keep him from this treasure for a very long time. Only Arabic was spoken in this country. The owner of the bar approached him, and the boy pointed to a drink that had been served at the next table. It turned out to be a bitter tea. The boy preferred wine, but he didn't need to worry about that right now. What he had to be concerned about was his treasure and how he was going to go about getting it. The sale of his sheep had left him with enough money in his pouch, and the boy knew that in money there was magic. Whoever has money is never really alone. Before long, maybe in just a few days, he would be at the pyramids. An old man with a breastplate of gold wouldn't have lied just to acquire six sheep. The old man had spoken about signs and omens, and as the boy was crossing the strait, he had thought about omens. Yes, the old man had known what he was talking about. During the time the boy had spent in the fields of Andalusia, he had become used to learning which path he should take by observing the ground and the sky. He had discovered that the presence of a certain bird meant that a snake was nearby, and that a certain shrub was a sign that there was water in the area. The sheep had taught him that. If God leads the sheep so well, he will also lead a man, he thought, and that made him feel better. The tea seemed less, less bitter. Who are you? He heard a voice ask him in Spanish. The boy was relieved. He was thinking about omens and someone had appeared. How come you speak Spanish? he asked. The new arrival was a young man in western dress, but the color of his skin suggested he was from this city. He was about the same age and height as the boy. Almost everyone here speaks Spanish. We're only two hours from Spain. Sit down 
and let me treat you to something, said the boy. And ask for a glass of wine for me. I hate this tea. There is no wine in this country, the young man said. The religion here forbids it. The boy told him then that he needed to get to the pyramids. He almost began to tell about his treasure, but decided not to do so. If he did, it was possible that the Arab would want a part of it as payment for taking him there. He remembered what the old man had said about offering something you didn't even have yet. I'd like you to take me there if you can. I can pay you to serve as my guide. Do you have any idea how to get there? The newcomer asked. The boy noticed that the owner of the bar stood nearby, listening attentively to their conversation. He felt uneasy at the man's presence, but he had found a guide and didn't want to miss out on an opportunity. You have to cross the entire Sahara Desert, said the young man, and to do that, you need money. I need to know whether you have enough. The boy thought it was a strange question, but he trusted in the old man who had said that when you really want something, the universe always conspires in your favor. He took his money from his pouch and showed it to the young man. The owner of the bar came over and looked as well. The two men exchanged some words in Arabic, and the bar owner seemed irritated. Let's get out of here, said the new arrival. He wants us to leave. The boy was relieved. He got up to pay the bill, but the owner grabbed him and began to, to speak to him in an angry stream of words. The boy was strong and wanted to retaliate, but he was in a foreign country. His new friend pushed the owner aside and pulled the boy outside with him. He wanted your money, he said. Tangier is not like the rest of Africa. This is a port, and every port has its thieves. The boy trusted his new friend. He had helped him out in a dangerous situation. He took out his money and counted it. We could get to the pyramids by tomorrow, said the other. Taking the, can taking the money. But I have to buy two camels. They walked together through the narrow streets of Tangier. Everywhere there were stalls with items for sale. They reached the center of a large plaza where the market was held. There were thousands of people there, arguing, selling and buying 
vegetables for sale amongst daggers, and carpets displayed alongside tobacco. But the boy never took his eye off of his new friend. After all, he had all his money. He thought about asking him to give it back, but decided that would be unfriendly. He knew nothing about the customs of the strange land he was in. I'll just watch him, he said to himself. He knew he was stronger than his friend. Suddenly, there in the midst of all of that confusion, he saw the most beautiful sword he had ever seen. The scabbard was embossed in silver, and the handle was black and encrusted with precious stones. The boy promised himself that, when he returned from Egypt, he would buy that sword. Ask the owner of that stall how much the sword costs, he said to his friend. Then he realized that he had been distracted for a few moments, looking at the sword. His heart squeezed as if his chest had suddenly compressed it. He was afraid to look around because he knew what he would find. He continued to look at the beautiful sword for a bit longer until he summoned the courage to turn around. All around him was the market with people coming and going, shouting and buying and the aroma of strange foods but nowhere could he find his new companion. The boy wanted to believe that his friend had simply become separated from him by accident. He decided to stay right there and await his return. As he waited, a priest climbed to the top of a nearby tower and began his chant. Everyone in the market fell to their knees touched their foreheads to the ground, and took up the chant. Then, like a colony of worker ants, they dismantled, those, dismantled their stalls and left. The sun began its departure as well. The boy watched it through his trajectory for some time, until it was hidden behind the white houses surrounding the plaza. He recalled that when the sun had risen that morning, he was on another continent, still a shepherd with 60 sheep and looking forward to meeting with a girl. That morning, he had known everything that was going to happen to him as he walked through the familiar fields. But now, as the sun began to set, he was in a different country, a stranger in a strange land where he couldn't even speak the language. He was no longer a shepherd and he had nothing, not even the money to return and start everything over. All this happened between sunrise and sunset, the boy thought. He was feeling sorry for himself 
and lamenting the fact that his life could have changed so suddenly and so drastically. He was so ashamed that he wanted to cry. He had never even wept in front of his own sheep. But the marketplace was empty, and he was far from home, so he wept. He wept because God was unfair, and because this was the way God repaid those who believed in their dreams. When I had my sheep, I was happy, and I made those around me happy. People saw me coming and welcomed me, he thought. But now I'm sad and alone. I'm going to become bitter and distrustful of people because one person betrayed me. I'm going to hate those who have found their treasure because I never found mine. And I'm going to hold on to what little I have because I'm too insignificant to conquer the world. He opened his pouch to see what was left of his possessions. Maybe there, there was a bit left of the sandwich he had eaten on the ship. But all he found was the heavy book, his jacket, and the two stones the old man had given him. As he looked at the stones, he felt relieved for some reason. He had exchanged six sheep for two precious stones that he had that had been taken from a gold breastplate. He could sell the stones and buy a return ticket. But this time I'll be smarter, the boy thought. Removing them from the pouch, so he could put them in his pocket. This was a port town, and the only truthful thing his friend had told him was that port towns are full of thieves. Now he understood why the owner of the bar had been so upset. He was trying to tell him not to trust that man. I'm like everyone else. I see the world in terms of what I would like to see happen, not what actually does. He ran his fingers slowly over the stones, sensing their temperature and feeling their surfaces. They were his treasure. Just handling them made him feel better. They reminded him of the old man. When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it, he had said. The boy was trying to understand the truth of what the old man had said. There he was in the empty marketplace without a scent to his name, and with not a sheep to guard through the night. But the stones were proof that he had met with a king, a king who knew of the boy's past. They're called Urim and Thummim, 
and they can help you to read the omens. The boy put the stones back in the pouch and decided to do an experiment. The old man had said to ask very clear questions. And to do that, the boy had to know what he wanted. So he asked if the old man's blessing was still with him. He took out one of the stones. It was yes. Am I going to find my treasure? He asked. He stuck his hand into the pouch and felt around for one of the stones. As he did so, both of them pushed a hole, both of them pushed through a hole in the pouch and fell to the ground. The boy had never even noticed that there was a hole in his pouch. He knelt down to find Urim and Thummim and put them back in the pouch. But as he saw them lying there on the ground, another phrase came to his mind. Learn to recognize omens and follow them, the old king had said. An omen. The boy smiled to himself. He picked up the two stones and put them back in his pouch. He didn't consider mending the hole. The stones could fall through any time they wanted. He had learned that there were certain things one shouldn't ask about, so as not to flee from one own, one's own personal legend. I promised that I would make my own decisions, he said to himself. But the stones had told him that the old man was still with him, and that made him feel more confident. He looked around at the empty plaza again, feeling less desperate than before. This wasn't a strange place. It was a new one. After all, what he had always wanted was just that, to know new places. Even if he never got to the pyramids, he had already traveled further than any shepherd he knew. Oh, if they only knew how different things are just two hours by ship from where they are, he thought. Although his new world at the moment was just an empty marketplace, he had already seen it when it was teeming with life, and he would never forget it. He remembered the sword. It hurt him a bit to think about it, but he had never seen one like it before. As he mused about these things, he realized that he had to choose between thinking of himself as the poor victim of a thief and as an adventurer in his quest of treasure. I'm an adventurer looking for treasure, he said to himself. He was shaken into wakefulness by someone. 
He had fallen asleep in the middle of the marketplace, and life in the plaza was about to resume. Looking around, he sought his sheep, and then realized that he was in a new world. But instead of being saddened, he was happy. He no longer had to seek out food and water for the sheep. He could go in search of his treasure instead. He had not a cent in his pocket, but he had faith. He had decided the night before that he would be as much an adventurer as the ones he had admired in books. He walked slowly through the market. The merchants were assembling their stalls, and the boy helped a candy seller to do his. The candy seller had a smile on his face. He was happy, aware of what his life was about, and ready to begin a day's work. His smile reminded the boy of the old man, the mysterious old king he had met. This candy merchant isn't making candy so that later he can travel or marry a shopkeeper's daughter. He's doing it because it's what he wants to do, thought the boy. He realized that he could do the same thing the old man had done. Since whether a person was near to or far from his personal legend... Just by looking at them. It's easy. And yet I've never done it before, he thought. When the stall was assembled, the candy seller offered the boy the first sweet he had made for the day. The boy thanked him, ate it, and went on his way. When he had gone only a short distance, he realized that... While they were erecting the stall, one of them had spoken Arabic and the other Spanish. And they had understood each other perfectly well. There must be a language that doesn't depend on words, the boy thought. I've already had that experience with my sheep, and now it's happening with people. He was learning a lot of new things. Some of them were things that he had already experienced and weren't really new, but that he had never perceived before. And he hadn't perceived them because he had become accustomed to them. He realized, if I can learn to understand this language without words, I can learn to understand the world. Relaxed and unhurried, he resolved that he would walk through the narrow streets of Tangier. Only in that way would he be able to read the omens. He knew it would require a lot of patience, but shepherds know all about patience. Once again, he saw that in the strange land, he was applying the same lessons he had learned with his sheep. All things are one, the old man had said.
The crystal merchant awoke with the day and felt the same anxiety that he felt every morning. He had been in the same place for 30 years. A shop at the top of a hilly street where few customers passed. Now it was too late to change anything. The only thing he had ever learned to do was buy and sell crystal glassware. There had been a time when many people knew of his shop. Arab merchants, French and English geologists, German soldiers who were always well healed. In those days, it had been wonderful to be selling crystal. And he had thought about how he would become rich and have beautiful women at his side as he grew older. But as time passed, Tangier had changed. The nearby city of Ceuta had grown faster than Tangier, and business had fallen off. Neighbors moved away, and there remained only a few small shops on the hill. And no one was going to climb the hill just to browse through a few small shops. But the crystal merchant had no choice. He had lived 30 years of his life buying and selling crystal pieces. And now it was too late to do anything else. He spent the entire morning observing the infrequent comings and goings in the street. He had done this for years, and he knew the schedule of everyone who passed. But, just before lunchtime, a boy stopped in front of the shop. He was dressed normally, but the practiced eyes of the crystal merchant could see that the boy had no money to spend. Nevertheless, the merchant decided to delay his lunch for a few minutes until the boy moved on. A card hanging in the doorway announced that several languages were spoken in the shop. The boy saw a man appear behind the counter. I can clean up those glasses in the window if you want, said the boy. The way they look now, nobody is going to want to buy them. The man looked at him without responding. In exchange, you could give me something to eat. The man still said nothing, and the boy sensed that he was going to have to make a decision. In his pouch, he had his jacket. He certainly wasn't going to need it in the desert. Taking the jacket out, he began to clean the glasses. In half an hour, he had cleaned all the glasses in the window, and as he was doing so, two customers had entered the shop and bought some crystal. When he completed the cleaning, he asked the man for something to eat. Let's go and have some lunch, said the crystal merchant. He put a sign on the door 
and they went to a small cafe nearby. As they sat down at the only table in the place, the crystal merchant laughed. You didn't have to do any cleaning, he said. The Quran requires me to feed a hungry person. Well then, why did you let me do it? The boy asked. Because the crystal was dirty, and both you and I needed to cleanse our minds of negative thoughts. When they had eaten, the merchant turned to the boy and said, I'd like you to work in my shop. Two customers came in today while you were working, and that's a good omen. People talk a lot about omens, thought the shepherd, but they really don't know what they're saying. Just as I hadn't realized that for so many years, I had been speaking a language without words to my sheep. Do you want to go work for me? The merchant asked. I can work for the rest of the day, the boy answered. I'll work all night until dawn, and I'll clean every piece of crystal in your shop. In return, I need money to get to Egypt tomorrow. The merchant laughed. Even if you cleaned my crystal for an entire year, even if you earned a good commission selling every piece, you would still have to borrow money to get to Egypt. There are thousands of kilometers of desert between here and there. There was a moment of silence so profound that it seemed the city was asleep. No sound from the bazaars, no arguments among the merchants, no men climbing to the towers to chant, no hope, no adventure, no old kings or personal legends, no treasure and no pyramids. It was as if the world had fallen silent because the boy's soul had. He sat there, staring blankly through the door of the cafe, wishing that he had died and that everything would end forever at that moment. The merchant looked anxiously at the boy. All the joy he had seen that morning had suddenly disappeared. I can give you the money you need to get back to your country, my son, said the crystal merchant. The boy said nothing. He got up, adjusted his clothing, and picked up his pouch. I'll work for you, he said. And after another long silence, he added, I need money to buy some sheep. And that concludes part one of this book, The Alchemist. And I will pick up reading part two tomorrow. Good night and sweet dreams.